Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. We used to do ads for other people, but I decided, why don't we do one for ourselves? Whether you're here listening to us for the first time or you've heard every episode, I'd like to briefly tell you what we're about and how you can support us. We have been doing this podcast since 2019, and with that has come lots of changes. We started as a primarily Halo-only show, but have evolved, combat evolved, over the years to talk about a wide variety of things in the realm of nerd culture. As you can imagine, we've made numerous changes to our platforms, usernames, and emails over the years, so now is the time for me to set things right and give the Covenant back their bomb. You can join our Discord by clicking the link included on our podcast feed. You can also send us an email or a voice message at sacrediconpodcast at gmail.com. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash sacredicon, and we no longer use Twitter or X or whatever else the kids are calling it these days. So if you see someone who looks like us there, just know it's not us. Lastly, you can support us on patreon.com slash sacredicon and receive a bevy of bonus content. We're so glad you chose us to be the voice in your ear on this particular day and hope you enjoy the episode ahead. Halo, halo, Sacred Icon listeners. I'm going to cut right to the chase here. I just want to open up by saying this, and I know Halo guys going to agree with me. Halo Infinite is a freaking awesome Halo game. I love this game so much. I know he does too. And just seeing the season drop just reiterates what uh, me and Halo guy have thought since the beginning of this game coming out. It's freaking awesome. Uh, it's such a return to form for Halo. I love this game. He loves this game. Um, obviously, it's had issues, but man... Man, just getting on and going through this stuff with Season 3 has been such a joy, and it just kind of relit that, like, picture like a stove where you're, like, trying to light the flame, you know, and, like, it ticks and it ticks and it ticks. It just felt like booting up Season 3 stuff was just, like, the flame going on immediately. Like, there's just the the love for Halo. Um, so, we're going to get into it. I'm mostly going to talk about, you know, just things I like and, 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 and things that were cool to me, but I think the, the best material will probably come from Halo Guy because he'll probably have little insights and, and things he's thought about far more than I have, as you guys know. Um, so uh, over to you, Halo Guy. What do you, uh, what's your thoughts on Season 3 so far? Well, you know me. The, the first thing I did when I, when I did it was uh, boot up all the cinematics, and then I replayed them, and then I replayed them, and then I replayed them again for a third time. Um, just so I could kind of grasp what the story was. And I think everyone can agree we got so much more story this time around than we did in season two. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was one thing I actually saw across the board, uh, across social media was people are actually pretty content and excited. And we're referring to Halo Infinite or Halo in general as, as back, um, which is actually a pretty cool, cool thing to see people generally excited again about the franchise. See, I'm, I'm glad to hear that from you because I've been on a, a, a hiatus from Twitter for, for Lent, so I haven't actually seen really, other than our Discord, which has been positive, but our Discord's always positive, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen like the Twitter, like if it was like, oh, this is great, or oh, this isn't good enough again, uh, but my my impression from it was just like, well, first I, I saw the, the cinematic and I'm like, wait a minute, this is like on a whole other level than season two, like season two was like... Like, if I'm going to get into my um, pessimistic side, I'll say season two just felt like what they could throw together really quick because they either didn't have the time or the development staff to do it. It just it just felt very, to me personally, season two, a lot of it felt kind of half-assed. I don't, I don't say that like anyone at the studio wasn't working hard. It's just uh, maybe the, the timeline and the things they had to go through, it just 
felt very underwhelming to to me and I think most people. But this one comes out of the gate with like a, a longer cinematic that's cool, a character that you care about. Um, you know, having Din interact with Eklund, uh, seeing more of Iritus, uh or is it Eratus? I don't know. I think I say Iritus. Well, I don't know. So uh, Din calls him Aratus, but then when when he actually pops out for the first time in season two, he's like, "Who dare mess with Eratus?" So he calls himself Eratus. Okay. I don't. I don't okay. know. Din doesn't call him that. Maybe out of disrespect or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, it just, it just feels like we have like a, a narrative with characters and some actual stakes and, and things going on. Um, I mean, it's fair to say for those out there who might be wishing for like a Destiny type you know, big PvE story kind of thing. That's that's not the the scale that Halo is going for. So I, I think I think if you look at what they're trying to do with their live service and their content, as far as season three goes, I think they're doing a really good job. If if you look at their goals and what they've done with season three and you you take what they've done and put that against their goals, I think it's very good. What, what do you want to say, Halo guy? <clears throat> No, yeah, I just wanted to agree with you about the uh, the kind of destiny destiny comment. I think it's important to understand the scale and not um, and not expect something that that might not be realistic, especially for the studio or whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. They they might just be trying to accomplish something different. And to be honest with you, having like the big difference uh, so far between season two and season three, one is just having that out of engine cutscene. Now, I'm not entirely sure who. I know some people are saying Blur possibly did it, and some people were, were saying no. Confirmed to that. it wasn't Blur, I believe. Confirmed, okay. Yeah, I don't know if who who that was, um, but it was pretty amazing. Um, especially like the horror elements that we got. We uh, when like Spartan Din was out in the desert, and then all of a sudden the the buggers are like literally like dragging him through. Oh, the seeing sand. that were so that was so cool. I missed what's them. really. What's really cool about that, yeah, exactly, is that we haven't seen them in forever. I don't think we've seen them in a three four three game at all. I even, think you're right. I don't even know if Halo War if Halo Wars had the No, no, the, they're not in Halo Wars, they're not in Halo Four or Five, uh, or Infinite. So So it's actually really cool to see them animated and like return because one that tells me that um three four three at least has some intention of possibly bringing some older things back or at least those assets exist, I guess is what I'm saying. And I think that's a cool, yeah, uh, a pretty cool thing. Even like the cutscene was super good, even to the point where Din, when he was getting dragged down, like you could even see his individual like strands of hair as each one was like kind of going down, uh, down the sand as well. And so I think that was actually a pretty cool thing, had some horror vibes to it. He was able to see his older self. Uh, and his older self kind of like yelled at him once again, kind of bringing that that horror vibe to it. And that's just like the story piece. And I'm sure we'll get more into that. But even I think uh, maybe tell me if you agree or not. But even the battle pass itself is pretty awesome. We got two new armor cores that were uh, actually really cool. The new maps to me are really awesome. I know some people kind of had issues with chasm, but to me, it's pretty fun. I don't know. It's something I enjoy. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, so there's so much to talk about. Um, as far as, so g- going right into the map, so I guess we'll come back to the story. Um, when I saw Chasm originally, my pessimistic brain went, well, that's just a part of the campaign they turn into a map, which it actually, I mean, it, it has to be, because it, it literally looks like the beginning of the of the campaign of Infinite. Um, but 
it doesn't really matter because that was an awesome part of the campaign. The map looks awesome, plays awesome, and I really enjoy the map. And I personally think um, I'm stealing this from someone else I watched on YouTube briefly. That They said it. I just agree with it. They, they said that uh, they think it's good for, um, for Halo games to have like mid-tier maps, like maps that aren't bad at all but aren't blowing your mind to fill out the breadth of, of map content, where I think Oasis is a much better like map in a sense than Chasm. Uh, Chasm's really enjoyable. I'm really glad it's there. Uh, so I love Chasm. Um, makes me feel like I'm in the campaign, you know, for re obvious reasons. Um, and then Oasis was like, holy crap. Okay, Oasis is awesome, but like never once have I felt, and let me let me back up here and say, everybody agreed from the second they play, they beat Infinite, man, I wish there was more biomes, right? And for some people, that's been like, something that they've harbored resentment over and they can't stop talking about. For me, and I think Halo Guy, we were just very happy with what we got in the Halo Infinite campaign. Would we loved other biomes? Of course. But what was there was great. We were satisfied. But never once have I personally felt such a desire to see another biome in the campaign as when I played Oasis. Because I was just like, this looks so freaking cool in Infinite's Look engine. at the potential. Yeah, I, like I was the potential think, of what another biome could be. It's exactly. beautiful. And I thought I thought of you and I thought of this uh, Halo guy. I thought, you know what? This sounds ridiculous, but even if the only way we could get, let's say, you know, they're not working on we know they're pretty much not working on campaign content. They don't have the staff. They don't they're not doing that. This is going to sound ridiculous, but if they had released Oasis in a like small small campaign like DLC where you fight like banished there and there's a little story element to go with it. Like picture this. Okay. I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm hoping for things I'm, that are, I'm excited now. <laughs> okay. I'm hoping for things that aren't going to happen, but just picture this picture. They gave us a cutscene that was on the level of the, the din cutscene We just got maybe even half the length of that, that just shows like, even if they don't want to get the recording, uh, they don't want to get Steve and, and, and people back for recording. Just have, like, for some reason, Master Chief, and maybe they just get the, the pilot to rec record. He drops Chief and Cortana off on Oasis. And it's just, it doesn't have to be extremely deep. It doesn't have to be this major elaborate campaign thing they build out. Have a little cutscene where they drop him off, and pilot's like, Chief, you know, we heard that there's a, you know, a banished or... or or they're they're at this area and they're they're they found a, a another artifact or something. It doesn't it can be whatever. And he drops you off and then it goes into that like first person gameplay where you're like dropping out of the pelican, and there's just little skirmishes between with banish and stuff on Oasis. Maybe even a button you press somewhere just to give some interactivity, and then a closing cutscene. The whole entire level can be ten to fifteen minutes. But it adds to the campaign. It is part of the campaign. It takes place post-Infinite. And, I mean, would that not be, like, okay, like, I'm not a developer, but, like, is that not doable and is that not exciting? <laughs> that actually is pretty cool to think about because, like, you're right. You really don't even, like, for as stoic and as reserved as Master Chief is, you don't really need to bring the voice actor back. Just put him in a situation. And like you said, it just go, goes right into that first person mode. And then you just kind of like accomplish whatever that situation is. But adding something in like Oasis would be fantastic. Um, it would I think feel that'd like be we were in a cool. different biome in the campaign, right? Like, yeah, exactly. They could, 
they could either make it now. I, I think it'd be fair to charge for it, but charge like five bucks. I mean, like, you know, because it would be very obvious with the length of it and the fact that it's a multiplayer map. It would be very obvious that they didn't craft this huge campaign experience. So they shouldn't charge 30 bucks. But like, I don't like five bucks. Like, once again, like for developers who would hear me saying this, they're pro I'm probably missing something and they're going, you don't get this, you, 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 you stupid consumer. You don't understand how this works. But to me, it just feels like adding AI skirmishes with the pre-established things you've already built... And, and then doing the work, of course, you would have to work to animate whatever cutscene you put at the beginning and end. But maybe some of that could be overlapped from the kind of cutscenes they had in the campaign already. I would just love it. Uh, but besides my own, like, fanfiction desire for, like, campaign DLC, the map's great. Uh, I love the aesthetics of it. What, what do you think about Oasis, Halo guy? Oasis is honestly probably one, aesthetically, probably one of my favorite Halo maps of all time. I don't even know if I can say that because there's so many amazing Halo maps that have existed yep. throughout the years, but Oasis is, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, there's not, there's not a moment of that map that I'm not just like, look, I'll tell you what, if you get in matchmaking with me on Oasis, I'm sorry, because there, I, I just stop and look <laughs> like, he just like keeps I'm just dying I, while you see him staring I, at the ceiling and dying. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what's going on. Um, because you have you have the desert theme, right? And then obviously Oasis and, the, and where you have kind of like the, the greenery side to it. And then you just have this vast forerunner vista yeah. where you see everything out there in the distance. And actually something really cool about Oasis that you can do that you can't do in a lot of other maps. Uh, when you do it, when you go into Oasis in Forge mode, you don't even have to try and break out of the map to go far out and see stuff. Um, when you go into Forge and then you hit the Machinima mode and you're kind of like just flying around as, yeah. um, uh, what's his name, Guilty Spark or the yeah. Forge dude? Um, the Monitor, sorry. Um, you can actually fly pretty far out in every single direction and just explore everything around that area, which is actually a really cool thing mm. to me. Cause one of the things that always bugs me is like whenever I'm in a custom game and turn on machinima mode and just want to fly around or I'm in forge and just want to fly around. Like it always bugs me that like there's all these barriers. It's like, well, I'm not actually playing the game. Can there not be barriers when I'm just trying to fly around and explore? But Oasis actually doesn't have a lot. So it's actually pretty cool. You can explore a ton. Um, and so, but beyond just like the exploratory port, like the gameplay, I made a, a tweet about this this week. One of my favorite parts about Oasis is like the inside of Oasis is all like UNSC um, structures. So basically you can almost go base to base without having to go out into the desert part. Yeah. Um, you can just kind of travel that foreigner or UNSC structure part. Um, and what's really cool about that, especially in game modes like Capture the Flag, I've noticed, is they create these funnels and these really narrow hallways that in order to get from like one base to the next, you have to basically fight through these hallways. And it becomes this giant mosh pit of people. And it reminded me a lot of my favorite Battlefield map, Locker. I don't know if you're ever into Battlefield. I thought you were going to say it reminded no. you of a Breaking Benjamin concert, but no. That's oh, not yeah. <laughs> it also reminds me of, of that, too. But no, it's just cool because, like, everyone gets stuck in this funnel. And that might not be fun gameplay for everybody, but, like, I've always... My funnest FPS moments have always been, like, one tiny funnel 
with a side that e- with two sides that each opposing team is trying to get into and everybody is just stuck like, like stuck fighting at that funnel mm-hmm. and just trying to kill and kill and kill until they can finally breach that and make it to the other side for whatever objective it is and oasis actually offers that and to me that's a, a super fun thing um honestly can't say enough good things about oasis it's 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 awesome yeah it seems like a very uh high quality map like <clears throat> no, no hate on chasm i really like chasm i'm, I'm really glad it's there but it definitely seems like much more effort was put into oasis than chasm um even though i like chasm as well uh what, what, what did you you didn't really talk talk much about chasm i guess i didn't give you much of a chance what were your thoughts on it Chasm is super fun. Have you played the, I think, Capture the Flag mode on it? Or no, King of the Hill. Have you played King of the Hill on that one yet? I have not. Okay, so there's, I think it's like the third or fourth hill. The hill itself is literally, there's one pillar that just kind of rises vertically. And the hill is on top of that one vertical, or one, Ooh, that that's one cool. pillar. And that one pillar is just floating in the air. So you have to, one, jump to it. And then once you're on it, it's only big enough for like two or three people. And everyone's shooting and, at you from afar anyways. Yeah, so you're you're actually elevated super high up. So you're super, super visible. And then on top of that, um, everyone's, well, one, you're just getting sniped from everywhere because you're completely visible. And then there's people that are like grappling from both sides trying to fight on it. It is super fun. When I saw that part That's come awesome. up, I was, I was super excited. Uh, but the map I love stuff is, like that. Oh, it's it's so like not it, it's just a social thing and it's cool. At least know? that's intentional. I remember back in the day when Reach was the was the hotness, the new hotness. Um the Reach Forge the Forge map version of Sanctuary that was released to play on, on multiplayer for, for Halo Reach. There was a little bug where you could somebody could get themselves like up on the mountainside at the top where they were unreachable. Um in that in that map and every time sanctuary forge came up someone would go up there and it i mean it wasn't intentional like what you're saying is but it always adds like this this like obscure like fourth element to the game that you don't expect like like because like what you're saying with that map is like once the hill is up there there's now like this platforming like silliness that is introduced into the game which adds to the variety you know yeah, and it's just fun. It, it's just, and at the end of the day, I think that's what people want in social play, right? Is is, and I haven't seen anybody really complain about that hill. Nor, nor I wouldn't understand why they would. It's not like a ranked uh, map, and it's not going to be in a ranked mode or anything like that. It's just just having fun. And then you have cliffhanger, which I, I've is the closest thing to Halo Reach. I think we can say for Halo Infinite. Um, Every time I jump on Cliffhanger, I feel like I'm in one of those first few levels of, of Halo Reach. It just has those those cold winter vibes to it. Mm. And we finally get snow. You know, speaking of new biomes, yeah. right? Um, that we Another were talking about earlier for Oasis. Yeah, and it's just really cool just being able to see that. And I've always been one like you who kind of defended Halo Infinite's biomes. Um, one, because, you know, the story is self-contained in one day, right? And we're just in one spot of the ring. And to me, it wouldn't make logical sense unless you're going all over the ring for there to be different biomes. And then even then, for Halo Infinite's campaign, like I consider foundations, like being inside the ring a biome. You're like in a forge factory that creates what's creating the ring. To me, that kind of feels like a biome. There's highlands, there's plateaus, there's marshes. 
um, and there's forests. And so I considered all those different biomes. So I was never really disappointed with the campaign. Um, but seeing cliffhanger and Oasis, one cliffhanger is just beautiful itself. Yeah. Um, last night I was doing some exploring around it. I made a tweet about it at the very tippity tippity top of the tower. I went exploring. There is a weather bane at the top and it's the rooster teeth logo. That's, oh, that's, that's so cool. There. Yeah. What's your favorite um, of, of the released maps? Oh, it's, it's Oasis without a doubt. Um, yeah, I, he can't be Oasis. But the See, what frustrating I love, what thing I about, about okay, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say the frustrating thing about Oasis is that it doesn't have its own uh, playlist yet until next week, hmm. and so I played at least six or seven uh, BTB games, which is a lot when you're doing BTB. Uh, just waiting to get Oasis for the first time. But go ahead. Yeah, um, one thing the thing that kind of reminded me of for Oasis is like a Skybox background is when I first played the Halo 2 anniversary edition of Ascension back when MCC came out. You remember, like, if you jumped off the edge of Ascension, like, you could see, like, the detailed ring below you. I was like, it very much felt like that kind of detail and felt like very good world building. Um, but something I, I wanted to say, uh, too, about the the whole biome thing with Halo Infinite's campaign. I mean, <clears throat> this is how I look at it, and not everyone has to agree with me, but, like, there's the in-universe reasons for why a thing is the way it is, and then there's the external real-life reasons, right? Um, the main reason that there's no other biomes in Halo Infinite externally is because the studio didn't have time to build completely new biomes and new areas. I think that was... I want to say that was confirmed at one point that they had originally set out to make more. Um, I could be corrected, but I'm pretty sure that was confirmed. But So that's the external reason. But um, the internal reason is we never do anything in that game to warrant us having to be in a different area. There's nothing in the story or anything that, that leads to that. So for me, like, we all know the external reason, but as long as the internal reason is solid to me, I, it doesn't so much bother me. And best example I can think of off the top of my head right now, I'm sure there's much better examples, is new game that just came out, Hogwarts Legacy. Uh the game has everything you could want as a Harry Potter fan, but there is no way to play Quidditch in the game. And the external reason is they didn't have time to properly develop Quidditch and all its game modes and everything. The internal reason is the school year starts and the the head of the school's like, Yeah, we had a problem last year with, you know, penalty like it was a, I don't know, he says like there's a penalty or somebody did something wrong, and because of it, um, no quidditch the whole year. You can still fly, but we're not doing quidditch. And to me, me and everyone who's who's played the game, it's, it feels very much like an NPC telling you, like, "Hey, we didn't have time to develop this." So that sticks out more to me. But anyways, that's a that's a long rant. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, the I mean, we were told by three four three before Infinite came out. They told us that Zeta Halo, the part that we would play on, was designed after the Pacific Northwest. Yep, correct. Uh, and they said that multiple times. So it's not on the studio for them not, you know, telling us what to expect, to be honest with as you. As far as what like they said, said, they only, yeah, they never promised more. I think we found out, it, maybe it wasn't directly from 343, it could have been some, like, Jason Schreier, like, scoop or something like that, that back when the game was in earlier development, like, like 2018 time, they had originally planned more uh, biomes. But they did ultimately, with what they had, decide we're going to go Pacific Northwest, and that's the only thing they ever pitched to us. So you're, you're right, man, totally. Yeah, and then with that too, 
Um, I think when people heard that Infinite was a return to form, kind of a, a rebirth for Halo, they they thought of Halo Combat Evolved, and obviously Halo Combat Evolved had all the biomes. Yeah. Um, but exactly like you said, external reasons aside, because we know the external stuff, but the internal reasons for Halo Combat Evolved made perfect sense of why we got all those biomes. We were going everywhere on the ring doing everything, um, but in Halo Infinite, our story is contained in one tiny little location and there's no reason to travel to other places. And that's the in-house lore reason. And you know, while we're, while we're talking about lore and you were talking about, I think it was Ascension in Halo 2 and the Skybox. Yeah. And that got me thinking about the Oasis Skybox real quick. Um, I, I am trying so hard, speaking of lore, to figure out where this, where this place take or where this takes place. So if you actually look at the skybox of Oasis, there's one giant planet with a ring around it. And then you can look to the right and there's like three or four moons that are orbiting this planet. And then I think Oasis is like the fourth or fifth moon that we're on. And I I don't know where in the Halo universe this takes place. I have, well, I have two theories right now. Um, One... And then this is, I don't know if this is going to be a retcon or not, but one is um, in the Halo TV show, Eradinus 2, where Master Chief is from, is a planet with rings, like a with a, a ice ring around it. Yeah. But I don't think in the normal like Halo like canon, I don't think Eradinus 2 has a ring around the planet. And that could just be because it's not like a very fleshed out part of the lore or not. Um, but it definitely has rings in, or a ring in, um, in the Halo TV show. So I'm thinking it's possible that Oasis takes place on Eradinus 2, Master Chief's homeworld. And how sick would that be? Like, we've never had anything over there. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, hey, it'd be even better if they, you know, made a little campaign mission there, you know. <laughs> it would be. Make it all Especially together. with the Chief being there. Yeah. Um, and then the other guest that I have, and this one had has no backing to it either, I guess. Um, but like, I'm thinking it could take place on, on Saturn's moon Titan, um, which actually makes some appearances in halo lore, Mm -hmm. uh, Titan as being like a breathable planet. Um, and then also at one point, the forerunners did have a history in our solar system. I believe we even visit Mars, uh, during the forerunner saga that Greg bear wrote. And so the foreigners did have a history there, and I think it would be really cool. And Saturn has a ton of moons, and we see a bunch of different moons um, in this map. And I think it would be pretty cool if uh, Oasis actually took place in our solar system. And having all that forerunner tech on a on a moon like Titan that that orbits um, that orbits Saturn, I think that'd be super cool. But so far, that's kind of like my my lore ideas of where I think possibly this map takes place. Um, but yeah. yeah, other than that, I I want to I really want more lore on on where these pl- places take place. To be honest with you, that and cliffhanger both. So I, I actually have like I think what I want in a perfect world for continued story content in Halo, it probably doesn't line up with what many other people want. So <clears throat> you have like your well, let me per- let me start off by saying I personally think if season three is the the staple for for multiplayer story going forward and every continued season is as good as this one or better, then this is my favorite direction 
the day of the 343 has taken for telling story past the main campaign. You have Halo 4 Spartan Ops, which I think we can all agree we love the cutscenes for that. But me and many others, not going to speak for Halo Guy, you know, the, the actual missions themselves a lot of time were very boring or repetitive. Uh, there were some ones better than others. But that was kind of Halo 4's thing. You want to go ahead and say something, Halo Guy? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, we all felt... Well, yeah, I don't want to speak for everyone, um, everyone, but I only played Spartan Ops once, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. And um, I remember purely beating it just because I said that I wanted to beat it because it was a Halo thing. Yep. Um, but I, I only played it for the cutscenes, to be honest with you. But um, there were there was only so many times that I could get locked out of a building and then just defend a horde of Covenant and then yep. make my way inside the building and then have to defend a part of that building or whatever MacGuffin it was that I had to defend. I mean, it was just repetitive, but yeah, keep, keep going with what your, what your yeah, thought was. So like as much as I'm a, a campaign guy and I prefer like the PVE stuff uh, for me, Spartan ops didn't, it, it didn't offer me the, the PVE experience. Like I think they intended because you know, like, like Halo guy said, played through it once and it was to experience the cutscenes, which were great. But if I was going to want to experience more PvE content in Halo 4, I just wouldn't play the campaign again because they have these very structured encounters and, and fun levels. So for Halo 4, Spartan Ops was a, was a great idea. It was, it was ahead of its time. Honestly, if you look at the, the, the gaming industry and what people were doing with like expanded content past the release, uh, Spartan Ops was kind of ahead of its time in 2012. But it, it really wasn't anything I think anyone ended up wanting more of because... I think it's obvious they didn't go forward with it. And then you get to Halo 5, where Halo 5 kind of continues this, like, your Spartan is a Spartan in the universe of Halo. Um, and, and really the the biggest way that uh, your Spartan exists is kind of through, like, Warzone, in a sense. It was less story-based than 4. Um, 5's probably my least favorite uh, way they've done that, because it was... It was acknowledging that this is a story thing in multiplayer, but doing not much with it. So it kind of felt like, well, why is it even worth mentioning? Also, I know there's some big Warzone fans out there not hating at all. I'm sure Warzone's great. Just was never for me. But then you get to Halo Infinite, and here's what I'm hearing from... Here's what I... Here's the three things... Well, here's what I hear from people, right? I hear people say... Some people say they want a Destiny 2 experience. I think there's a lot of people that want that. Me, personally... I have no desire for a Destiny 2 experience. I don't want Halo campaigns to become this always online um, expansion MMO type updating thing that Destiny 2 does. To me, that's not Halo. I would not like that at all. I prefer what we have now to that. I know that probably sounds crazy to you, but no. But let me say, let me let me go further and say, I would love extended campaign content. I think what I what I wanted in a perfect world for Halo was every year two years i mean earlier would be better but you know maybe every year there would be a uh, one to three hour campaign expansion that you could pay a small amount of money for and download and get more campaign and i think that's kind of what a lot of us you know we shouldn't have hyped it up and, and thought it thought it when no it was never announced but i think a lot of us back before we really saw halo infinite we thought okay they're going to release like an arbiter campaign that's like two hours you can do this cool thing here, and you're going to get like a lock campaign. You get It's like two hours. You can do a thing here. I think that's what me and a lot of people wanted. Some people want the Destiny Destiny 2 thing. I don't want that at all. Um, but we pretty much know we're, we're not getting the Destiny 2 type thing or the campaign, like little campaigns every year thing. So when you look at what we have 
and what the scope they're setting is. The scope they're setting is, can we give this multiplayer live service this really nice story dressing, lore dressing, where not only the the, well, the cutscenes, the menus, the items, the cosmetics, the maps, they all come together to formulate this ongoing narrative past Halo Infinite, but it's not campaign. It's, it's still multiplayer. And I think if season if this is their goal and season three is representative of what's going forward, this is this is my favorite thing after like full on campaign add-ons because um, I, I think the story is interesting and I think I mean truth I mean I think we pretty much both just admitted to Halo guy like it's a lot more fun for us to play multiplayer matches in this campaign dressing than it is to play Spartan Ops in Halo Four. Yeah, that's that's a big, big agree on my part. Um, I would love to see this continue. The awesome thing about season three is I think we all recognize it as a foundation of where things are going to go in season four and season five. I don't think they can really backtrack from here, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't I don't think the, the fan base would allow them to like, yeah. let's say season four comes out and it's and it's like season two. You know what I mean? Like you can't have season three and then kind of backtrack. It kind of has to be the same. If they did, it would kind and, of ruin all the credibility that three brought. Yeah, exactly. And even on top of that, even if that means that you have to, and I'm not like putting this out into the universe, but even if that means you have to like extend season three or something like that, um, you can't really backtrack now. Like, I don't know if that's a good thing for three, four, three or not. Um, but like, you can't go back. Mm-hmm. And it looks like you have something to say about that. I just that thought, how or, cool would it be as if like, after all these seasons end, like, I don't know, maybe maybe they'll do something cooler, but, like, what if all these seasons end with, like, Chief showing up at the base with the pilot, and he just says, like, he just says, like, I need your help, and then it cuts to black, and it's, like, that's what, like, let's say there's ten seasons or whatever, that's, like, leading into what's going to come past Infinite in a full campaign, like, have this all lead to something that really makes us go, so glad I was there for the journey, you know? Yeah, and I, I agree with that, I, I, I have kind of debated with some people the other day that disagreed with me, but I still really agree with myself. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't convince me. Um, But nothing but love for you guys if you're listening to this. But um, I really would love to see our multiplayer Spartan end up on Zeta Halo. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, I would love Because, spoiler alert for Rubicon Protocol, at the end of the book, they they do send out a distress signal to the rest of the UNSC. And I think, how awesome would that be if us at the Academy, we caught that distress signal, we heard it, and um, and that's what we've been training for. And then us, so it'd be, because now we're part of the pack, which was also one of my favorite parts of of season three cinematics is when Eklund said I was part of the pack. To me, that was just so, so cool. Yeah. Um, so me, Eklund and, uh, Din, what if the three of us go to Zeta Halo and just go rocking? And that would be, wouldn't that be a cool way to introduce, um, a firefight mode in, um, yeah. in Halo Infinite? It would be us eventually going to Zeta Halo. And then we, since all the new multiplayer, um, uh, experiences, uh, like game, um, like, what am I game modes? That's what I'm looking for. Since all the new multiplayer game modes are tied to the story, um, how cool would it be for Firefight to be introduced as, hey, you're now on Zeta Halo and you have to fight through these hordes of, you know, of banished See, or whatever. I know why I know why our minds are going this direction. And I wanna I wanna like preface by saying like me and Josh have said on the in the past on older episodes, we've said, you know, having all these expectations and things you wish we would get are not really healthy to like hype up all these things you wish you could get. Like 
focus more on what you are getting and, and being appreciative of that. But I think what's happening for me and Halo Guy right now is that we've seen with Season 3 what they've been able to pull out of Infinite and add to Infinite, both in story and in extra content here. And it just gets our mind racing with how much more they could do just continuing to use Infinite itself. Because I'm just picturing, too, like, you're talking about, like, Firefight on, like, on like Zeta Halo. I'm also, like, I know this has been said in the past, but, and I'm not a developer, so this could be so hard, but I'm like, what if you just took a huge section of the Zeta Halo ring and just made it covered in snow? Like, I'm, I'm not telling you to do any crazy work, like, Obviously, developers are sitting here going like, "That is crazy work, you dumbass." But like, no, like, like just cover <laughs> it in snow. I'm not saying add like snowmen and snow physics and all this crazy stuff. Just like, oh, hey, there's that part from the game that there's that building I went in in the in the campaign. It's now frozen over. There's snow falling. There's um, you know, there's this banished base that I I cleared out once before that's now covered in snow. And you just there's just some story reason you have to go there. Maybe it's just like you, Din, and Eklund like are returning months later and you're like oh we heard that you know master chief was here you know blah 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 eight months ago and we've just got a distress signal from someone else it's in, and you go back and you're like oh i can clearly tell that they've reused this campaign that i've already played but like it's in snow and there's this new narrative dressing like and then you're talking about firefight and i was talking about the oasis campaign thing earlier and it just i think season seeing season three come out the gate like this and be so uh, exciting as they've just pulled more, they've added more to this Halo Infinite package that already exists. It just sends your mind racing on, on what else could be there. It it does, and I, I agree with you. You know, it's never super healthy to dwell on the things that you wish you had. It's better to focus on what you got, but you're right. Season 3, like, I'm sorry, you did it to yourself this time, 343. Three. Like, <laughs> Season 3 opened up a can of worms. Like, it really makes you wonder where could this go? And I cannot remember who it who said it or where it's from, but I seen the quote going around and I probably shouldn't even say it, but they were saying months ago that the, the multiplayer narrative that we're going to get will build to a point that it has universal implications. Like it will actually be a pretty significant story as far as the universe of halo is concerned, which is really exciting. Um, because I can already start to see that. And maybe this is a good segue, you know, after 30 something minutes into the lore, um, but one thing that I'm super, super excited about is seeing where this story is going, especially with all the ties to Oni. Um, and one of the really cool things, if I could toot my own horn for a second, before uh, season three released, like I called it, I don't know, I didn't see anybody else do it, but I called like that door on Live Fire is going to be big and it's going to be connected to Oni. Oh, really? That's um, awesome, dude. And then when that happened, like, my wife and, and daughter were actually watching me watch the cutscene. Um, I was flipping out and I was like, that's the door. That's the door. I was like, I called it. That was the door. And that's the Halo guy door. Up, yeah. I was like, that's my door. Um, it was actually a pretty, pretty fun, fun moment in, in our household, uh, at least for me anyway. Um, but yeah, with that, like, who knows where this story could go? You've got some big stuff and I've got some ideas that are kind of off the beaten path. And I've, I've done some YouTube shorts on them this week and we can talk about them here if you want. But like, I think Agrina is a, an Oni spy or a mole. Ooh. And I think Aratus is the good guy. And that's an I, interesting I'm sticking, twist. I'm sticking to it. So she's done some pretty weird stuff. If you ask me, okay. um, 
So He's got those demonic eyes from when the game. Launched. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I think it's I don't pretty clear. <laughs> I don't know if that's just bad rendering or if she really does have those demonic eyes. Um, no, but like this week, I was thinking about it a lot. So, at the end of season three, whenever the cinematics finish, or at least one of the cinematics, it does like this. Um, it cuts to the screen where you see Oasis, and then that door from Live Fire out in the desert, and there's a tiny like three or four paragraphs just kind of catching you up. In one of the paragraphs, as part of the season three Intel drop, it says that Spartan Agrina is confident that Eratus has been contained. And to me, that just sent red flags, man. Like, why are you so confident about this? Didn't like, why are you so confident that this thing is contained? Din is literally having nightmares in the academy, right? Like, yeah. at the Avery J. Johnson Academy of Military Science, you have a Spartan who is having nightmares and all these troubled flashbacks about Eratus and all this stuff. And here you are, Agrina, and you're like, yeah, the threat is contained. You guys did a great job, blah, blah, blah. And so you have that, right? And then Din himself says that Live Fire or the Academy, however you want to refer to it, he goes, hey, this place is old. It has its own memories, right? And it's obvious that at this point, the Academy used to be some type of Oni black site that we've just kind of painted over. And now it's a Spartan training hub. Um, and, and the reason that we're training there is because the old Spartan sites were destroyed by Cortana and they had to get off the grid. And so now here we are <clears throat> at somewhere that is off the grid enough um, to be able to um, get away from the created uprising and stuff like that. And what better place than an old Oni black site, right? And so it makes me wonder, is Agrina working for Oni? Because in one of the season two cutscenes as well, she says, hey, we're going to use this Oni tech. And there's Oni logos everywhere in the yeah. academy. And I didn't think anything of it then, but now it's like, whoa. It's like, hey, I'm going to use this Oni tech to contain Aratus and take everything from him that he knows, right? And so... That in and of itself is like, man, what's what's Agrina doing with all this Oni tech? Did they just stumble upon it? Or is she part of the organization? And her and Din, she says they grew up together as far as like the Spartan program. And Din used to be an Oni field agent. And I'm thinking maybe Spartan Agrina used to be an Oni field agent too. And I am thinking these two had a history with each other. And I don't think that history went very well. The dark, dark side to my theory is that she was the one or was part of the group of people who sabotaged the mission that Din was on that we saw in the season three cutscene. Because I am confident that that was purposely sabotaged. Wow. So you're you're pretty firmly in the camp. Spartan Agrina is not a good. Well, but they, OK, here's the thing, though. I just I was actually following you, but like, man, yeah, let's the... hear it. The cutscene, the cutscene that introduces Agrina back when the game launched, is so like heartwarming and wholesome. That's literally what everyone is telling me. Like, there are some people that are like, "Oh man, that's a super interesting theory," and then everyone who disagrees tells me exactly what you just said. Really? Okay, that's crazy. That I, I guess the only thing I could say is like, she feels like you know the UNSC are the bad guys from that that experience, right? I mean, so yeah. Well, let me just. Let me preface it with this. I don't think necess- this. My theory doesn't mean Agrina is a bad person. She's just with Oni, which um, is shady as hell. She's just with yeah, exactly. And Oni always has their own own agenda, right? Um, and then what was I going to say? Oh, and the other part to it too is this. Um, 
And the, these two go hand in hand. One doesn't work without the other. So Eratus is the good guy, right? Whenever he is showing Din his past, he Din goes, why are you taking me here? And he goes, because you refuse to see. What does that tell you? It means that Eratus knows something that either Din doesn't know or that Din doesn't want to hmm. realize as being true. And so what in the world is, and I used to think, hey, maybe this is just Eratus trying to take over Din's mind. And that could possibly be true. But what if Eratus is trying to show Din a past that he lived in that he's not seeing the full picture of? And whenever um, Eratus was brought back to the Academy, maybe he was able to stumble upon some stuff inside the Oni servers and learned um, exactly what went down. But when we see the cutscene, Din basically says, hey, this was like the failed mission. And he goes, I, show, I told them we should have went at night. We should have went in airborne. And then we see a cutscene, and it's basically a Ratu showing Din, hey, if you guys would have came in at night and if you would have went in an airborne insertion, you still would have gotten shot down. Like it didn't matter what you did. It would have always ended up in a failure. And I think the reason that Aratus is saying that is because it doesn't matter what the plan was is because there was somebody on the inside who was sabotaging this mission from the get-go. Um, now, I don't have a reason why it was supposed to be sabotaged. I don't, we don't have enough lore or story behind it. All we know is that they were going to a drone hive, a Yanmei hive, and they were going to go take that hive out to go grab some foreigner tech because that was part of Din's past at, at Oni, is uh, that... He got foreigner stuff and basically repurposed it. Either foreigner or covenant, I can't remember. But he would basically grab it and then Oni would repurpose that tech. Um, but I'm thinking Eratus wants to show him this past because he wants him to realize that Din, he wants Din to realize that he was set up and he was possibly set up by the one person in the academy we're supposed to trust. And that's that's Spartan Agrina. Do you, what, what do we know of Eratus is? origin do you i mean do you have any theories on that so the only thing we know about Eratus origin is that he was created by um a civilian corporation called lux veluspa um veluspa is a term for a norse poem that basically kind of goes over the creation of the world to the end of the world and so there's some kind of poetic implications um lux veluspa was doing experimental um, smart AIs based off of non-human subjects. Like, for example, Cortana is a human AI based off of uh, the memory core of Dr. Halsey, right? And her clone. Yeah. Um, well, they were testing Jiro Hanai. Um, and this actually goes back to my theory. So they were testing Jiro Hanai neural cores. And basically, Eratus was born. But at one point, Lux Veluspa was hacked into. And um, part of that hacking, and this is the other reason why I believe that this was either an Oni insider job or it's somebody on the inside is doing this. Um, while Lux Velespa was being hacked, one of the employees says, hey, um, the code that is taking all of because they're watching Eratus, basically the AI be taken from their servers at, in, in real time. They're like, hey, the code that is taking this is internally sourced. And so internally source tells me that the code came from the inside, but they said the people who are receiving it is Gerald Hanai in nature. So someone from the inside 
is sourcing this code and then submitting or sending it to some Jirohanai source that Tokaratu's basically. Um, and I think it was someone from the inside. And now what this possibly means is that Oni saw, and this is, this is kind of a bigger theory that really doesn't have any backing whatsoever, but it's just something I'm thinking of. Oni saw what this company Lux Velospa was doing, liked the idea of it, had someone from the inside receive the code, and then they outsourced it to that banished signal and allowed the banished to get it. Now, what I'm thinking is either one or two possibilities. Either they wanted Eratus to kind of work for them and go into the banished and for the banished to use that AI and then think it's working for them. But in reality, it's working for Oni and taking all the banished data. Um, or Oni has a deal with people in the banished, sort of like the Kilo 5 trilogy, and where they want to create a civil war between the banished and they're going to support one faction of the banished. And they, in order to support that side, they gave that side a banished AI. And now that AI is in Eratus and he's supposed to fight against the banished, just like uh, Oni did in Kilo 5 when they tried to put a, a, a schism between the elites uh, post-human covenant war. I'm thinking maybe Oni is doing something like that. But I definitely believe there's an insider and Oni is involved heavily with, with all of this. Man, it is insane. You get it's like that book. You give a mouse a cookie because, like, if you give Halo guy <laughs> just a tiny bit, to, like most people, the average person probably played, like, watched the cutscene, played some of the multiplayer, and went like, "Yeah, that's that's all there is to it." There's like a little cutscene, and like that's the story. I mean, there's nothing else. And like, holy crap! Like Halo guy, you weren't around uh, in the build, like on social media and such, in the build up to Halo Infinite coming out. Uh, like, do you do you have one big brain theory you had for Halo Infinite's campaign that didn't come true? Like, because we didn't know you back then, so like, can you think oh, of one, man. or or was there you're something you guessed big. that you were completely right about? Um, you know what? I actually have on my phone. I did a. Um, let me see if I can even find it. Um, but I had at one point Halo theories that I. Um, I would have to go back and look at it. Um, I did have a couple of theories that were right, but I'm looking at it now. I had a big list of stuff. I did actually, I did the same thing for Avengers Endgame. I had a giant yeah. list and I just went like, check, 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 check. Nope. Didn't get that one. Check, check, get that one, get that one. Um, I had some pretty cool ones. Like I'm looking at it now. Uh, Chief revives the old, an old guardian to fight the other guardians. Cause I figured that that fight would continue on. Um, let's see if i can find any other cool ones that would have been um, cool but i think they wanted yeah, to get away from the guardian cool. thing um i don't know i'd have to go back i have like some long paragraphs that probably Future wouldn't episode. be fun for me to just <laughs> sit here and read um but yeah i i actually i do i do have it it's it's a thread and you're looking at it right now but it's just yeah. theories that i had before but you know i mean you say what you just said but that's the exact reason i started doing and kind of getting involved the way i did it's just because like I wasn't really seeing it, and I just wanted to get my my voice out there so people could well, hear some different theories, you know. And like even watching, like this is like these things I just talked to you about. Like that's also the reason why I'm like the only person who enjoyed season two because I got a lot of really cool stuff out of season two that a lot of people didn't. Well, and dude, so that's kind of like to my you, thing. man. Because and this, I, I, you know, from what I'm not like 
insanely close to Alex Haruspis, you know, but uh, close, I mean, talked to him many, many times. Obviously, he was on like 15 episodes of our podcast, but I think that's exactly what kind of pulled you towards him is if you look at like the content creation for Halo, so many of the biggest names or biggest people that the communities come to know as content creators, they're not talking about the things you're talking about. They're not talking about these little lore insights, details, and theories in the same way that uh, Halo content creators might have a decade ago. They're, it's mostly just become, you know, Halo negativity sells, so how can we spin this as a negative thing? I mean, and to be fair, like, some of these bigger guys uh, also talk positively too, but uh, but it's, it's become, and, and me and Josh have touched on this before in the past in prior episodes, is it's become more of like a political like drama landscape than it has become Halo fans really nerding out about a series they love. It's become this meta, like, why wasn't this thing built? Why is this contract work? Why did this get fired? person get fired? Or why is this person gone? And it's, it's, it's become so meta to where it's like, man, remember when we used to just like talk about the details of Halo? Like why this alien's doing this thing? Or why Chief did this? Or, or what's the secret history of Oni? Like that was the, lo- I'm so much more interested in Halo lore than Halo development lore, right? Like, you know, and I think that's why <laughs> Haruspis like, lore. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why Haruspis like, you know, featured you on, on Waypoint and stuff like that is because, um, because you're, you're you're doing you're you're making good content uh, based on the game, the world itself, the things that you know. Uh, that's what the games are made for, right? Like, of course, it's a product, but like it's meant to sink our teeth into that, not the the background development woes. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'll be honest. If you if you follow me on anything, or if you're not, and you're thinking about it, like I promise you, I will not talk to you about. Halo development lore. That's just I I could care less. Yeah. I don't work at three four three. I have no idea what they're doing in there. I can't speculate. You know, it's not like it's not like they talk about what they're doing on their day to day business. It's like nor is it really my business at the end of the day what they do or how they run their company. But yeah, this there's definitely some really cool stuff going on in season three lore, um, and I think. Um, it's going to have some pretty big universal implications. And I think the one really cool thing that I absolutely love about it is that our Spartan is real in the universe and our Spartan gets to take a part of it. Yep. Now, I don't know if there's – and me and some others this past week were talking about it. I don't know if there is a good or a better way to to make our character more involved as opposed to just kind of like standing there in the cutscene. I don't I don't know what's a good way to do that. I don't know if that's something you've thought of. Do you give them a voice? I mean, but how do you give it a voice if it's supposed to represent all of us? Like, I don't know how you how you do that any deeper than just having them in the cutscene. Yeah, I mean, I think as the games are designed now, this is the best way to go about it, right? Because like, if, if the whole narrative centered around a player character, like I know this isn't the best example, but like um, Fallout Four, you know, a game criticized for giving the character a voice everybody's character in Fallout 4 is themselves, their own character, and they are the center of the narrative. If, if a game, and, and Destiny, to some extent, right? Like, I think your, your character does have a voice in uh, Destiny cutscenes and stuff, but your character is the center of a narrative, even though there's, you know, quote-unquote thousands or millions of guardians in the world of Destiny, you're the center of it. So I think unless they make a game, you know, if they, and I'm not saying I want this, but if they made, like, a, a spin-off Halo game, 
where you there was more destiny like or something that would be an opportunity for that but i think as it is now uh, i think this is the the best way to do it yeah i i think you're right i do i guess in the back of my mind i do want there to be more than just us walking through a door in a cutscene. um it, i don't know i don't know how you do that but Maybe, I, I mean i yeah but you could do like day, I, I like it text I mean, text I like, or Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Like maybe text no, or, or lore stuff, you know, books or like that I might be an instance where possibly like, think if the they wrote an entire book about your character um, from the 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 seasons. Like obviously they wouldn't be able to reference the character as like the gender or whatnot. But no, yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. Like you, I think it would be really cool, like you said, in a book. Um, but you would have to do it in a really delicate way because it's supposed to represent every single one of us. I think it's a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, because if if there really are some really big story implications that are moving forward um, with with what we got in season three, having someone who is me be a part of that, and now I'm part of the universe and lore, I think that's that's pretty freaking cool. One of the questions I had for you was, do you think that the whole Eratus thing with um, like AI is that is that more just for like the plot of this story they're telling, or do you think that could go into being something more? prominent in a future game because i'm picturing like what would it look like if we fought banished in the next halo infinite campaign or next sequel to Halo infinite we fought banished that had ais like that could be a really cool other element and a way to kind of like bring forth a little bit of the ideas from the created area uh, like like era of the lore i know like created fans would not be happy with that because like what they wanted was like cortana and her ai uprising but i'm just picturing like if you fought like a like maybe there's a special class of brute, like higher end brute in the campaign that had an AI and it was the gameplay reflected that like this dude's like really fast and hyper reacting and and maybe he's even like there could even be like a comical moment where he's like, you already told me that like he's like talking back to his AI or something. I don't know. Yeah, that, no, I think it'd be cool. There are some in-house stuff that you would have to take care of, I think, as far as lore, um, because we have to remember Cortana did destroy Doisak, the Jirohanai homeworld. Yeah, that's a good uh, And point. all of its moons. And you would have to, you would have to get, which is also a point people have already made about like, why are the Banished using Aratus, uh, considering what Cortana did? I think it's a fair point. Um, but it could be like their offensive you, bias. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's exactly like that. Um, but like, at the end of the day, what if the Banished had an AI they felt they could trust? Yeah. And what if the Banished wanted an AI that they could use against humanity in the same way that humanity had an AI that worked against them? And it's it's kind of like uh, – this is like a really, really extreme example, so forgive me. But it's kind of like having a nuclear weapon, right? It's like um, yeah, like, like everyone agrees they're bad, but everybody wants one. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like yeah. – um, as far as like AI is concerned, like we all know, like the, the implications are, are pretty, or they can be pretty bad. If you have, if you have somebody like Cortana, right. That enters into the domain. And that's kind of a one-off thing. That's why our multiplayer IAIs are like mostly dumb, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then, um, but what if the banish, you know, what if that's their, their nuclear option, you know, Hey, we'll get one too. And, but I don't know. It really all goes back to like, to me, I think it would be cool to have them in campaign. I do. That would be a really cool element. Um, but like, why do the Banish want an AI? What were they searching for on Camber? You know, we we still haven't exactly gotten what that mystery is. And I think whatever it was that they were doing on Camber, 
Oh, and that's a whole other man. I know we're kind of getting to the no, go ahead, close of this thing, but that's a whole that's a whole that's something else. At the very and see, this is why I like season two. People missed out on a lot of good stuff in season two. Um, but in one of the season two intel pieces that we got, um, we were told was it an intel piece or a cutscene? I can't remember. Um, but basically, we were told that um, they were using or testing Aratus out and turning. Yes, it was Spartan Eklund. She said they were turning our old dead ships against us. And so they were using. So a lot of people think that that the banished went to Camber because they were just doing script or ship scraps and, you know, just salvaging operations. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why would the banished send their very first AI to do routine ship scrap operations like that? No, you don't, you don't send your first AI to just go pick up old UNSC ships. Yeah. Eklund gave us what really happened. She said they were turning our old UN or dead UNSC ships against us. What that makes me think is that the banished were actually using Camber as cover for what their real purpose was, and that was you know testing it out on UNSC equipment outside of UNSC space so they wouldn't get caught. Um, now, if they were able to use Eratus to infiltrate old dead UNSC ships, what if Eratus could eventually learn how to infiltrate alive UNSC things? Now, you ask... How can you use this in a campaign? Well, what if the Banish have an AI that can infiltrate the Warthog that you're on or mm. the Wasp that you're on or the Scorpion? Um, Man, if you're in and, gameplay and you're like kicking ass and, and like playing as Master Chief or something and like you're driving a Warthog and then they just have an AI take over your Warthog and drive you off the edge in the game and you die, that'd be freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> How cool would that be? And so this isn't a stretch. This isn't like theory you know, way out there. Eklund literally said, like, the reason they were doing what they were doing at Camber is because they were testing it out and turning our old dead stuff against us. Now, you just take that one step further. What if they take over the stuff that's alive, you know, like the vehicles that are functioning? Or what about a Spartan Mjolnir armor set? Yeah. Right? What if pretty, they could take over something like that? It's pretty brutal. And and so... You're almost back to Prometheans really, at that point. Like, mechan- mechanized, <laughs> like, AI-controlled, you know... Wow. I know it's crazy, but anyway, I think Aratus and this whole vanished AI thing has some really big implications. I, I'm not quite um, firm on what I think, like the overall where it's going. I have my ideas, but I do think there was some type of insider that gave this to the Banish, and the Banish are using it for what they think are their own purposes. Whoever this Oni insider is 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 supposedly getting something out of it that they think they they want. Um, but, you know, the other really cool thing, too, is this could have been a a pre, uh, a pre-created uprising experiment. It's a good point. A good point. We, don't, we don't know the timeline of this, but we do know, um, at least according to books like Divine Wind and Rubicon Protocol, they have both more or less said Oni is scattered and hiding and basically non-existent. Now, you have your people like Sarah Osmond and... Or yeah, that's her name, I think, right? I think you're right. So, yeah, um, they're they're kind of out there doing their own thing, and you have only remnants, but they're all disconnected. Like I just read it actually in Divine Wind this past week. They are completely disconnected. So this whole banished Aratus thing could have happened 
way before the created or not way before, but it could have happened before the created uprising. And then when everybody got disconnected because of Cortana, now you have what Honey was going to control this banished AI, right? Even if they purposely gave it to, let's say they purposely gave it to the banished so they could control it and use it for their own needs. Yeah. But what now, what if the created uprising happens and now all of a sudden, Oni has no control over this Spanish AI and it's just running rampant doing and Arathus is just doing whatever the heck it wants. And all, all of that is up in the air too, if you ask me. I mean, that's a, there's a lot, you've given a lot to chew, us a lot to chew on based on just season three. I think anybody who listened to this is going to be like, holy shit, how did this dude draw so much from what we, we, we watched? <laughs> I mean, we should have known because he drew so much from season two which was like noticeably lackluster for so many, and season three really brought it this time. Um, a couple more rapid-fire things I want to ask you before we get out of here. Um, first, so here's my biggest criticism. I think you'll actually agree with me. Biggest criticism about season three, and it's really less about season three and more about Halo Infinite as a product. Uh, I still think if I'm being... I hate to be brutal because I'm always positive, but like Halo Infinite's UI just kind of sucks. It's really just not very good. They've updated the like backgrounds and loading screens. I was this is so silly as a lore fan though you'll you'll understand. I was floored by the new campaign UI where Chief's like standing on the pelican and turns around. I'm like that's freaking badass. I love that. Can I tell you what that does to a lore person? Like oh. I I get it that it's nothing. Yeah, it's the Master Chief turning around. But you know what? So the Master crazy. Chief, the last time we saw him was in a pelican, right? Yeah flying off with the weapon and the pilot. And now we see him again in a new environment. Because, oh, hold on, hold on, let me backtrack. So the first time, the first loading screen is just the Master Chief in front of Zeta Halo. And that makes perfect sense. Like, this is the Chief story on Zeta Halo. And so that's the campaign backdrop. We see him kind of looking out. What this new season uh, backdrop tells me is that that part, even though I don't think they're necessarily working on campaign stuff, but that part is done. Yep. Like Chief is no longer looking out over Zeta Halo as this new mysterious place. Like that part is done. And now we see Master Chief in that Pelican that we left him in at the end of the campaign. Love it. Gives me And he turns around and he's looking at something. And so you know what that tells me as a lore guy? It's like, hey, that, that era is done and we're moving into something else. And it's only two seconds, but it's so powerful. And it's exactly where we left them, and he's turning around to face something new. Now, and if there was a way they could continue to just – I know like like you and I both said that's not much at all, but if there was ways they could continue to like trickle these little moments out, even if it's seven years, I know that's going to hurt people, but like just trickle these out to where this is happening periodically over the years until we get a full new campaign release. And it's like we kind of led you there, guys. Like this was building to this, right? Yeah, I think that'd be super cool. Um, but yeah, even though it's only two seconds, that that little shot meant the world to me because yeah, it just told me, I felt it too. hey, Halo Infinite, that door closed and we left you in this Pelican and now we see Master Chief again in the Pelican, but this time he's turning around because he's about to start something. Absolutely. Now, do you like, agree with honestly, me about the UI? Oh, Go gonna, ahead what you were going to say too, but... Yeah. Sorry, I know I really distracted you on the UI piece, no, um, okay. but you started talking about lore and so that's your fault. Yep, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um honestly had everything at 343 not happened this year like with campaign and stuff like that seeing that little chief turn around that would have oh, that would have sent off once some- again if we didn't Woo. know the background drama like this think about this so, like picture your 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 random ass white dad 
who's just going to work and drinking beer and watching football, but he also likes Halo. He saw it get this amazing winter update with the Forge and the custom browser like um, like list, uh, yeah, custom browser that was unexpected in December, and then boom, here's March. Season three comes out, and season three is great, right? Like it, it looks like three four three really did do a turnaround and put out content in a way that people were wanting, right? That's what it looks like if you don't know all the drama that everyone on the inside here, or whatever the inside is, whatever we are as far as inside is, you know, it's just it's just like a hyper-obsession thing that kind of ruins the fun, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I man. Anyway, let me, let me just get back to your original thought here, because <laughs> now I'm getting hyped up on stuff. Um, anyway, yeah, the UIs, it, it's still not that great. I think we can all agree on that. Um, it, it does the job. There has been actually a couple of times, this is actually pretty funny, where like I do these button clicks to get to, at, at this point it's muscle memory, right? If I want to get, if I'm, if I'm in a weird part of the menu and I want to customize, I do these like weird button clicks to get to the customization part. And I think to myself, like that was a really weird button combo that I just pressed to get to customization, but it's all muscle memory and I don't think about it anymore. So it doesn't yeah. really bug me. Um, but I do remember like the first time Halo Infinite came out, I had been playing it. And then my, uh, one of my brothers like wanted to play it like a few weeks after its release. And he was like, Hey man, like, where do I go? And that's not, that's never something that you really want as a developer Yeah, uh, to have people ask like, Hey, where, where do I go to do X, Y, and Z? So yeah, I think there was a lot of really cool changes. There's still some things I think to make it a little bit more simple, but you know, speaking of UI, um, there are Eratu sightings in the UI right now. Oh, that's, I haven't noticed. There, so if you look in the background, there's like a terminal that usually has like a blue UNSC screen on it. Well, every now and then for some people it has turned red. That's neat. Meaning it's been hacked, right? That's neat. And then there's a glitch that you can do. Um, I made a Twitter post about it if you want to actually see this, what it looks like. But there's a glitch you can do if you like move through the menus really quickly and like hit go to custom games or something and then exit out really quickly. So you see the live fire door. And there's a glitch where basically the door disappears and it looks like you can see behind the door and it looks like an elevator shaft. Huh. To be honest with you. Uh, um, some secret Oni base, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's got to be something back there behind this door, Well, which gets me really excited. And then, you know, that just got me thinking too, like one one of the last things I wanted to say about season three, or maybe I shouldn't say one of the last things because that's not true. Um, but like <laughs> <laughs> having first of all, when I saw the cutscene of the grenade blowing up the building number nine door in live fire and you see the Oni, the paint ripped off and then you see the Oni symbol. My first thought was, holy crap, how cool would that be if that is an in-game change? And so I hopped into a custom game and I went straight into live fire and I saw that the door actually changed That's for neat. the game. Yeah. And you know it's it's little. I get it. It's not that big. Of, uh, it's not Small that big. Small thing. It's powerful though. But it's powerful because now that scene is real. You know what I mean? And it exists in the in the game that we play. And you know when all the pro players are playing in HCS and they're running around. Guess what? There's going to be an Oni door. You yeah. know that they're that they're playing next to. Like it's it's there. It exists for all of us. You know. And it's a really the fact cool that you're thing. staring at that door is why you aren't in those pro circuits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's funny you say that it's actually really funny you say that because i'm a really big hcs fan um 
and I've, I, I just love it. I love watching the pro scene. Um, and um, it, it's actually because of HCS Charlotte that I discovered the door before um, season three released anyway, um, because they actually did that season three teaser during Charlotte. And I watched the teaser and I saw the door right in the desert and all that. And now as the pros are playing on live fire, I was like, man, those doors look familiar. And I was like, no way it couldn't be. And so like I went around and I actually like found because in the cutscene it's a, it, like uh, above the door, it says building number nine or whatever. So I was like, I'm going to go find this on live fire. And then I was like walking and then I actually, I found that door. Um, but it's actually because I was watching the pros run past it all weekend on Sunday night, like during the championship or right after the championship, I was like, let me go, let me go see what this is all about. But yeah. That's neat. All right, dude. Man, a lot of, a lot of cool stuff. Aratus uh, is showing up in the map. There's red everywhere on live fire and cliffhanger. He's hacking into everything. I have a theory that cliffhanger is in the mountains of where live fire takes place. Those are all connected in the same general area. Um, anyway, I, I could go on, but you're about to man. No, I, I get it, dude. I, I really appreciate that you bring all this to the podcast. Uh, I find it extremely interesting as well. Um, Two two last things before we get out of here that were pretty big things from this update that we have not talked about at all. What are your thoughts on the Bandit and Shroud screen? Uh, Bandit is really, really awesome. I am not good at it. Bandit is the first weapon I have taken to the tutorials, the training range thing, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. It's not... Um, that's not a piece of the multiplayer that I ever really thought I needed to go. I wanted to show up in campaign. Why can't we have the band? Really? So you know what? I think it would be cool if in the future some of these uh, multiplayer updates we get if they if they cross into campaign. You know, yeah. keep campaign alive. Uh, give us the the bandit the bandit rifle. Um, but yeah, the bandit rifle is really cool. I I sometimes I, I mean I see the pro scene talk about it. Does it need a D scope? Yeah, it does. No, it doesn't. I. I mean, to me, it's a fun weapon to shoot. It's, it's different. Um, I, I I wish the the TTK was a little bit faster for it, but to be honest with you, it's fun. And there's a big skill gap, and I had to take that weapon to the training range to actually get somewhat decent at it. I, I like it a lot, too. I think it's really cool. I, I mean, we're easier to please, I think, than most, but like, I love that the yeah. bandit's there. It's great. And then your other question about the shroud screen, I think it's super cool. I think it's super cool, and I love the dynamic of the shroud screen. And if you shoot the threat sensor into it, you can see people in the shroud screen. I think that's a really cool that's way to balance it. Yeah. Um, but there's already been a couple times where I'm just running around, and I'm like, ah, there's someone behind me. And I just drop a shroud screen, and then I just dip and just go somewhere. Um, it's cool. I love it. Yeah. I, I, have, I have no complaints about the shroud screen, to be honest with you. More good additions. I mean, it's funny. It's funny how like perspectives have changed, right? Because if this was Halo 4 days or even Halo 5 days and they did an update that introduced an entire new weapon, and I'm not talking about just, you know, like in Warzone and Halo 5, they had like, oh, this is the fuel rod gun, but it's red and it shoots faster or whatever. They dropped an entirely new gun in Halo 4, Halo 5 and a new equipment item. I would have been like, holy shit, this is, they dropped a whole new gun and equipment? Like, I'm logging in. This is so cool. And then nowadays, because we live in a live service Fortnite world, you, you know, people are like, a new gun and a new equipment. That's it. And, this, and I'm like, that's so cool. Really? That's all you could do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate that so much. No. Right now. Okay. Like, so uh, last, last question for you, Halo guy, and we'll get out of here. Yeah. Um, 
feel free to be as biased as you want. I don't need no. I don't need yes, any kind of objective thing. What would you give uh, season three out of ten? And you can explain your reasoning if you want, or you don't have to. And then, what would you give Halo Infinite as a whole package right now out of ten? Season three as a whole, a nine and a half out of ten, just nice. because, man, to get uh, a ten is really sacred for me. Yeah. Um, and so I'll, and I, and the reason I give it a 9.5 is because of the rest of this podcast. Like, <laughs> I, I love it. Like, I, I love the sandbox updates. I love the lore and the story behind it. And the, and the biggest thing I love about season three is that it's a foundation of where things are going to go. And so I love that. I love knowing that, like, season four is going to be rocking and season five is two and that, that we'll get two more seasons this year. And that I'm going to get more Halo lore, and what what I can't complain about that. And so, yeah, that's my reason. It's super high up there. And then Halo Infinite as a whole, um, I probably as well give it a nine point five. Like I don't have any complaints, truly. Like I have nothing to complain about with Halo. My only complaint is that I wish we'd get another campaign. Yeah, and which I, we you know, did we all prior understand. Halo, so it's kind of unfair to hold it against it. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Halo Infinite is hard. It's hard for me to give it a bad score because, like, I also grade it on the potential, and we know it's just going to keep getting stuff, and it's going to keep getting like the. It's like when season three dropped, and there was a couple bugs that came with it, and everyone's like, "Hey, these blah blah." blah. It's like, dude, you know it's going to get fixed. Just chill, like, you know, yeah, like they're they're going to fix the frame rate stuff. They're going to do, you know, um, so that stuff doesn't really bug me. Like, I can be patient for that stuff. Um, I'm, I'm a patient gamer, if you would, um, yeah. that stuff doesn't really bug me. And and knowing that Halo Infinite is just going to get better and better and better. Like it's really easy for me to give it a high score and it's easy for me to give it a high score because I super enjoy it. Every time I hop on to play multiplayer, I have a good time. When I play campaign, I have a good time. So yeah, money well, spent, I mean, honestly for me, if we're just going to like with, you know, me and Josh like to do this whole like uh, objective subjective thing, but if we're just going subjective, completely biased, Halo Infinite's a 10 for me. I don't have, I mean, if we're just being biased as heck, like, to me, Halo Infinite is just as good as the Bungie titles. Like, and I know you could come in here and tell me, like, Bungie didn't do this, Bungie didn't do that, and 343's slipped up here and there. But, like, to me, and I'm somebody who loves Halo 4 and 5 and have defended them for years. You can look at our history of podcasts and tweets. You know that I love those games. But for me, um, despite me loving 4 and 5 and sticking up for them, in the grand scheme of the of the legacy, like four and five are the weaker ones to me, and they're not even weak games to me at all. Like, because I, I just like, exactly you feel the same way. That's cool. Oh, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I don't want to really interrupt, but yeah, the, those aren't necessarily weak games. Like Halo Four is one of my favorite Halo games of all time, but Halo Infinite is the game I've always wanted. Yeah, like I know me and you have both said that a lot, but it really is. Like Halo Infinite is as far as campaign, it's, it's the campaign I've always wanted. And as far as multiplayer, it's, it's the multiplayer that I, I never like multiplayer is a second to me, but it's the multiplayer I've always wanted, but I didn't know it. You know what yeah, I mean? Like pretty much we're going to get, con- we're going to get a continued live service story. We're going to keep getting updates. HCS is super fun to watch because things are, as far as I'm concerned, pretty well balanced. Um, and it's just, it's just an awesome time to be a Halo fan. If you're a Halo fan, you're, You've never been in a better spot, if you're asking me. Yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of one of the things that really made people roll their eyes on Twitter when I started saying this over a year ago or so. I'm like, we have more Halo content today than we ever had. And they're like, no, we don't. This game, Halo 3 launched with so much more content. I'm like, no, but what I'm saying is we have 
all of the Halo games prior and all of their updates in better in a better form than they've ever been. 60 FPS, 4K, all these additions, things like ODST having Flood Firefight when that wasn't even in the original game. And then we also have Halo Infinite, a new Halo game with all of its continued updates. We have, you know, Halo Wars games. We have the Halo TV show. Maybe you hate the Halo TV show, but you don't have to watch it. Maybe you get some entertainment out of it like me and, jo- uh, me and uh, Josh do and me and Halo guy do. Uh, and, and, and that's something more beneficial, right? So it's like we have more content than we've ever had here before. Uh, so that's, that's where I'm at. So, like, yeah, bias 10 for Halo Infinite um, for the season. If I'm looking at Halo Infinite um, with as like this is their goal, this is what they're setting out to do, this is a 9 out of 10 season for me, for sure. It's, it's a really great season. If you're somebody who's going, what I wanted from the season was a five-hour campaign on Zeta, Halo, yeah. Master Chief, Sorry. Snow. <laughs> if that's what you were looking for, then yeah, this season's going to seem like garbage to you because it's it's fallen so short of the expectation you have, but there's really no reason why that should be your expectation based on what they've said for Infinite and the entire history of all the Halo releases prior. So, And one last thing, while we're comparing stuff, um, and we all love the Bungie days, but you know what's one thing Halo Infinite has that Halo 3 didn't really have is like, we we've, were told that Halo Infinite is a live service game that will continue and it will continue and it will continue until, you know, something else comes out. And, you know, we'll keep getting these new drops. We'll get new weapons. We'll get new sandbox updates. We'll get new multiplayer experiences. And maybe one day down the line, we'll get a DLC or just a new campaign. But we know Halo Infinite is just going to keep getting better and better and better. And what's what's there not to love about that? And Halo Infinite to me, overall, like I said, a 9.5, a 10 is really sacred. I don't know how to give out a 10 personally. I'm so proud of you that you can do that. Um, well, I said biasly, right? Like, you know. <laughs> you know. But yeah, as far as like, as I'm concerned, it Halo Infinite campaign and multiplayer check all the boxes for me. Yeah. And I can't complain about it. And I just love them. And I love the Halo lore and all the new content we're getting. I love the story and intel drops that we're getting on the side that, um, support halo infinite's multiplayer story i think those are super cool and we're just going to keep getting more of it and so what's what's not the love yeah i I think if i was you know really trying to and me and josh have said as much on prior episodes but like um if i was really trying to be objective i'd probably give it a nine because i'm like some mistakes were made here and there and there's more stuff i would have liked to see in the game but you know that's just but like you and i don't have you and i don't have that mindset as much we have more just like what did we get and how much do we enjoy it? And with that mindset, it's easy for me to be like, oh, well, subjectively, it just, it's just a 10 for me, you know? Yeah, and I remember when Infinite came out when the, in its first year, like the multiplayer, the campaign, people were like, it's not worth the $60. And I'm like, look, man. What was my mind? I, I'm i still playing campaign. I'm still discovering new stuff. And I beat I'm still it five times fun. already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, in my mind, I would have paid like $200 to have fun for something for over a year See, you know what i mean like it's, it's, it's that, all guess, in the it's all like what okay, there's a better like terminology for this but like it all comes down to the customer and what they value right because for instance for me like witcher 3 is one of the best rpgs ever made one a super highly rated game beloved by many i love it i've beaten it one time and i didn't do all the side content so i probably put 40 to 50 hours in witcher 3 and I paid 60 bucks for it, and I feel that it's completely worth it. Have not replayed it yet. Then you have Halo Infinite. I have probably put I put several hundred hours into it, and I will replay Halo Infinite 
just the campaign, not once, but at least twice, if not more, a year, plus the multiplayer. And that's going to go for every year. So we're talking about, like, you have something like, I mean, if I made, if I made a poll on, like, Twitter, not, like, Halo Twitter, but, like, Twitter in general, it was like, what's a better game? Halo Infinite or Witcher 3? <laughs> that's funny. It's going to be, like, it's going to be, like, Witcher 3, 95%, 5% Halo Infinite. Like, the cultural, like, gaming industry opinion will be, Witcher 3 is a way better game than Halo Infinite. And there's merits to say that, but, like, for me personally and for a lot of Halo fans and, and for Halo Guy here, like, we're going to spend infinitely more time, no pun intended, on playing Halo Infinite than we are Witcher 3. So there's more value in that product. So for somebody saying like, oh, it doesn't deserve 60 bucks, I mean, maybe to you specifically, but I feel like there's, me personally, I feel like there's no argument to be made for it not being worth $60 on like a base, like objective level. Like I get like personal feelings, but no argument. Yeah, and for someone like you, like what happened, when you play Infinite for the sixth time, you have now spent $10 per play. Per play, like, and that's not including multiplayer, that's, and that's not including multiplayer. Well, like, what kind of deal? Which I is guess that? you didn't have to pay for that. To be fair, you I guess that's fair. yeah, and that's yeah, I guess yeah, on a yeah. But I'm going to beat that true. campaign. You know, if I live long enough, it's going to be thirty, forty, fifty playthroughs. I mean, it's going to be like less yeah. than a dollar <laughs> per play. Yeah, <laughs> one dollar per play. It's an arcade. It's an arcade machine at this point. Putting yeah. my quarters in exactly. Um, no, I I can't tell you how many hours I've spent just roaming Zeta Halo, having fun. So I hope future campaigns, and maybe this is something we could talk about another another time. But like, and I think we have talked a little bit about it. Like, I would love the open world again, so I can explore. Yeah, something. I'd be fine with it mixed in with the levels you know i think i think it was a really cool balance that they did um and this is totally off track from season three but just the way infinite was done and allowing me to be able to explore the ring the way i was uh meant to explore it and then the fact that they wrote a book alongside it that gave me even more details about the ring that i was able to find in game yeah, like that stuff's priceless to me. It very As much Halo person, CE the flight vibes for me, but even and it kind of be, done better actually. Done better, done done significantly better. Yeah, but man, uh, I've loved having you on here again, Halo guy. Obviously, we could go forever. That's why there'll be more. Yeah, episodes. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, thanks for being here, man. Why don't you want to give a shout out to your your platforms again for people? Uh, yeah, if, um, so lately I, as I've been saying, you know, I'm, I'm just, I have a normal life. Content creation is not a job for me. It's something I do on the side. So I, I, I post YouTube videos when I get a chance. Um, and you can find me at Halo Guy on YouTube and then on Twitter where I'm a little bit more active, where I just kind of like throw up all of my thoughts at one point at one place. Um, that's, uh, you can find me at, at Halo Guy YouTube on Twitter. And those are kind of where I'm where I'm more more active if you're you're interested. Or you could check out some of the um past three lore episodes that I've I've done with with the awesome crew here at Sacred Icon. Totally. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, uh guys, if you want to I mean obviously you can reach out to Halo Guy on, on his own platforms as he just um told you, but uh, if you guys want to send an email or a voice clip to us uh, for questions for us or for Halo Guy or requests for something to talk about or maybe an opinion you'd want him to cover about the lore on a future lore episode because we've done three lore episodes this one's not specifically in that like lore category we've been doing this is more specific to season three but i'm we'll obviously have him back for a, a lore part four at some time so if you guys have any feedback on what you'd want to hear us talk about feel free to, to leave that there or come to the discord everyone's welcome and leave the opinion there but uh, if you guys want to follow me i am at brian's bane on twitter uh, josh is at jedi knight joshy 
You can follow Sacred Icon at Sacred Icon Pod. If you want to give monetarily to the podcast and have your name shouted out or, or other uh, benefits, go to uh, patreon.com slash sacred icon. Uh, I know it's been a little while since we've shouted out the names, but it's been because because Josh has been out with his back issues um, and I've had guests. I usually, you know, I know they would be more than welcome to, to, to sit through it, but I usually don't like to have guests sit through me naming all the people who give money to our patrons, so I just kind of skip it. So we'll definitely get you guys back as soon as Josh is back next week. He said he will be back uh, for next week's episode, so that'll be cool. Um, guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sacred Icon Podcast. And as always, keep it sacred.